Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me, as usual. Darcy with a brand new, fresh manicure. Yes, badly needed manicure. Oh my goodness. For the first time in months, we're finally able to go to salons. Right, and I'm one of those people that gets them done, my nails done every two weeks, like religiously. Um, It's like the one girly thing I do, and my nails were just like, they were in terrible shape, so... I was able to, like, and we did the whole thing with the mask, and we had an appointment, and they limited how many people were in there, but, um, so it was very safe, but yeah, it was, man, I needed it so bad. So you had to wear a mask, Mm -hmm. too, and they had to wear a mask, Mm -hmm. and everybody was in masks, and was there anything else they did to kind of... Um, they had everybody, they took everybody's temperature, and then they, um, had everybody, like, wash their hands before they picked out their nail color or, like, touch stuff, you know? Um, and, uh-huh. and then, but, but other than that, it was just mostly about everybody wearing a mask. So. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that they're able to get their salons going again, because mm-hmm. I know that that is extremely challenging for people that work in that industry that depend on that money. Absolutely. And that's a salary, you know, and, and to shut all that down, it's, it makes me very scared mm-hmm. for their ability to, to care for their families. So I'm glad that they can get back up and get going. Yeah just another aspect of our society that was shut down for so long, but glad that they're going again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a little bit of a, a deep issue to talk about today, and I just want to give people a warning. We're going to talk about suicide and depression today, and it can be a trigger for some people. And I know that especially in today's environment where we've got a lot of really challenging issues going on, that there are many, many, many millions of people suffering from depression, anxiety, panic attacks, all kinds of other mental health issues. And suicide is pretty much reaching all-time highs, especially with younger portions of the population. So I just want everybody to know, hang on, you're not alone. We will provide information if you need assistance or help at the end of the show. Um, That is what the show is about today. We've got two cases that we want to discuss. The first one is the case of Chandra Brown. And I got most of my information from a 48 hours episode and then there were a couple of articles online about this but the 48 hours episode was a death in pace and canyon but we're just going to jump right in um police get a call it was a 911 call at about 7:15 a.m there was a turkey hunter that was looking for game when he found a young woman hanging from a tree <sighs> with a suicide note next mm. to her chandra brown killed herself the note said, watch the video. It's on my phone. But the phone that was next to her as well as the note was dead. And the police could not charge the phone or turn it on. So here's this young woman, you know, very like a teenager mm. hanging from a tree. And they have no idea what's going on. And they can't listen to the message that the note tells them to listen to. So at the scene of the hanging, there was no vehicle. And so they needed to try to find out how this young woman got to this very, very remote location. Then, as the police are standing there, a young man in a bright orange shirt approaches them and introduces himself. He tells them his name is Tyrell Presbian. He says he probably wants to talk and he needs to tell the story and he's crying and emotional. He says he knows what happened to Chandra. Hmm. 
So this is Maple Lake in March in Utah. There is about six feet of snow usually. Payson Canyon, where this young woman was found, is about 20 miles south of Provo, Utah. Mm-hmm. This is a very popular winter site for outdoor activities such as hunting and snowmobiling. Cross-country skiers also spend a lot of time out here. Backpackers come out here in warmer months, and it is a remote area that s- unfortunately sometimes attracts people who want to commit suicide as well. Mm. And uh, Provo is where BYU is, so uh, it's probably that area is probably popular with younger a younger crowd as well to go hiking and stuff. So this 16-year-old girl that they found, her name was Chandra Brown. She committed suicide May 5th, 2017. So then let's talk a little bit about Chandra. Evidently, she was a very vibrant young woman. She had blue hair, so she was creative and was not Mm. afraid to express herself. She was very happy and outgoing. Born in Twin Falls, Idaho, grew up there, was very active and adventurous. She was into volleyball, dancing, skiing, and cheerleading. But in 2016, her mother and stepfather moved to Spanish Fork, Utah, to be closer to Chandra's brother and his kids. Now, this can be very traumatic for teenagers when they are, number one, torn apart from their current environment, their friends, their school, And it appears that this is sort of what happened to Chandra. She started out very comfortable and happy and go lucky. But then when they changed her to this new school, she didn't, she had to start all over again. And that was very Mm -hmm. challenging for her. But her parents thought that she was connected to a very strong core group of friends in her new school. And so they kind of thought that everything was okay. She's just adjusting. So it's going to take her a second She always seemed like she was having fun and there was never a dull moment in her house. So her parents didn't really believe that anything was wrong. But then within a few months after that, she started to get very sad. She wasn't herself. She was suffering from depression and she seemed like she was very easily frustrated. And at that point, her doctor then prescribed an antidepressant. Now, she had also been treated for depression a year earlier as well, even though she had been in the town that she grew up in. And so she had somewhat of a history of some depression type issues and taking medication for that. Okay. She also seemed as though she was talking a lot about missing her friends and family back in Idaho and the memories that she had in Idaho. Now, Chandra was a cutter. So if you don't know what that is, it's typically someone who will express their pain and grief and depression by harming themselves, such as usually the most common one is cutting yourself with just a razor blade. And it's not slitting your wrists like you're going to commit suicide. It's just making little incisions in your own flesh so that the pain of that kind of overrides the pain that you're feeling inside. Yeah, it's a it is very often a physical manifestation of anxiety. So the, the physical pain is an outlet for the internal uh, pain and anxiety going on. And when she was asked about this, they said that she self-harmed because she wanted to feel something when she felt nothing inside. 
So mm-hmm. not only can it be to try to override and block out the pain you're feeling, it can also be you feel so numb and empty that you want to feel something, so you cut mm-hmm. yourself or self-harm. And she did that. Now, let's fast forward to May 5th, 2017. Chandra had gotten in trouble for having not... For, excuse me. Chandra had gotten into trouble for having pot at school. So... This to me is interesting as well, because oftentimes when young people have mental health issues and you bring things like marijuana or other recreational drugs into the mix, it can either help in a small measure or it can make things worse because your brain is still developing at that young age. And when you add the chemical imbalances created by recreational drugs, you can really interrupt those chemical pathways and create some pretty significant problems. Mm -hmm. Am I, do you, are you kind of in agreement with that? Absolutely. And I was actually going to say there's kind of a similar, um, uh, apprehension about prescribing antidepressants to teenagers for that same reason. Right. Because depression is obviously a very serious issue, but it is, you know, a, a warning that comes with every antidepressant, and I am currently on them, and I've taken them for years, that when you first start an antidepressant, they tell you to be very watchful for an increased suicidal ideation. So mm-hmm. it, it can very often lead to an increase in suicidal tendencies, and, and when you combine that with a, a teenager's brain... And right. then also if you add like a, you know, a drug to a marijuana or something like that, um, it can just get very, very tricky. So you have to be very, very careful when you're then, doing, dealing with stuff like this for teenagers. Right. And then as well, when you give them something that increases their suicidal tendencies, the teens and young people are very impetuous and impulsive. Right. So oftentimes they won't think about things before they do them or they won't mm-hmm. rationalize them and they'll just emotionally on the spot do something very serious like suicide, mm-hmm. not realizing the implications. And it's not really what they want to do, but they're so impulsive and impetuous that they do it before they even have time to think about it, which is horrifying and absolutely, absolutely. frightening, especially for parents yeah. and family who they want to help and they want to do everything they can for their teen. And they think that going to the doctor and getting this medication is going to help. And then you have an issue like this where it's, I just can't even imagine how terrifying that would be as a parent and as a loved one. Yeah. And, and I want to be very clear, it is that, you know, that is a side effect they tell you to watch for, but it typically goes away if you experience that side effect, not everybody will, but it typically goes away within two weeks. And then you start to see the effects, the antidepressant effects of the medicine. But, right. um, but I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. But again, as Darcy had mentioned earlier, there is some debate as to whether young people should be given chemical drugs like this because their brains are still developing and changing and growing every day. So to put something like this into the mix can sometimes be more harmful than good. And again, I think it probably varies by patient to patient. Some people find it very helpful, but some patients it doesn't really do much for. And that's the problem with a lot of these drugs. There is no one drug, one solution, one fix for any one person. You just can't lump everyone into the same group. And Mm -hmm. Chandra decided that using a recreational drug like pot, you know, helped her and made her feel better. So she was a frequent user of marijuana and she had been caught with it before in Idaho. But this time around, when she was caught with it at school, she was suspended. And she was very scared of her mom's reaction when she was, she knew her mom was going to find out 
she had not found out yet, but she knew that it was coming. And Chandra's mom was actually surprisingly cool about it when she found out. She just decided to take away Chandra's cell phone and sort of restrict her privileges Mm-hmm. Just as far as day-to-day activities in punishment for getting caught with this. I think her mm-hmm. mom understood the stress and the pressure that her daughter was dealing with as a teenager, moving to this new community and things like that, and kind of cut her daughter some slack, although she wasn't going to let her get away with it completely because she knew her daughter had been caught before. She knew it was wrong. She knew that that sort of thing should not be taken to school and, and so on and so forth. So Jandra actually did have a nighttime job at Wendy's. And which I thought was kind of interesting because she's a 16 year old girl and she gets off of her job at about 1:30 a.m. Oh wow! So how can you enforce a curfew on a child when they have a job until 1:30 a.m.? Which I guess it's yeah, like you go to work, you come straight home, and then it's like if she's out on a Friday night with friends or something, it's you know be home by 10 o'clock or whatever. I just thought it was a little bit unusual to allow yeah. a 16 year old girl to work that late. That is very late, yeah. Um, especially, you know, when she's got school, but mm-hmm. I'm not giving any judgment. I don't want to imply that I'm judging anyone for anything. I just thought that was unusual that she would be working that late. But mm-hmm. on that particular night, May 5th, 2017, Chandra never came home. So her mom woke up and just sort of had this very uneasy feeling in the middle of the night, but she couldn't call Chandra because she had taken away her cell phone as punishment. Oh, Um, immediately her mom is just like, I know something's wrong. She calls the police and tells them that she thinks her daughter might've run away. Police at that point start looking for her, but then the turkey hunters find the body. Oh, wow. So they found her like just the next morning. Yeah. Wow. And initially just looking at the scene and from the note and from you know the history of this young woman the police think okay this is just a suicide i mean what can you do it's an awful horrible tragic circumstance but there's really nothing else for the police to do at that point there was rope hanging off the tree branch about 10 feet in the air though there was no snow on the ground at that particular time when they start looking around on the ground and find two grocery bags In one of the grocery bags, there is a receipt for rope, the same rope that's used to hang Chandra, and there is a young man's name on the debit card receipt, and it is Tyrell's. Hmm. So then they start to think, okay, maybe this is not so cut and dry. We need to get this phone working so that we can find out what really happened here. And go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, so she, she had had, her phone had been taken away, so this was not her cell phone. It was a burner phone. Oh. Okay. Wow. Um, which was even more perplexing because where would she get this and what would she need it for? Right. When they eventually get that phone powered up, there is a video recording that is about 10 minutes long and it is a recording of Jandra dying. (gasps) Someone had obviously watched and recorded the hanging. And because that rope was hung on a branch 10 feet in the air, someone had to have helped her get up there and do it. They suspect that the person who bought the rope on the receipt was also the same person that shot the video. So that was the point when the young man in the orange vest comes up to them and self-identifies himself and claims that he came back to make sure she was really dead. 
I mean, Hmm. what kind of a little monster does something like that? I mean, I just, when I heard this story, it just horrified me on so many levels. But they take this young man named Tyrell back to the sheriff's office, and he seems like a pretty quiet kid. When they interviewed friends and family, he seemed like he cared for others. His mother said she was very proud of him. He was good at math and science. He was very active in soccer, baseball, basketball, and wrestling. But when he got older, he started expressing very negative and shocking thoughts, as well as depression. So Tyrell's mom knew that there was something wrong. She didn't Mm -hmm. think it was normal for him to have such dark thoughts and to express them. And so she took him in for mental health help, which Mm -hmm. is the right thing to do. But the doctor just told her that her son was a pessimist and that was it. There's nothing you can do about it. Hmm. Tyrell's mom had never once heard of Chandra. Her son never mentioned this young woman. And friends of Tyrell at school say he did not seem super depressed, but they did notice that Chandra had been hanging out with him. Friends say there was nothing romantic between the two of them, but they feel as though Chandra thought she could help him to be more comfortable and to join into this circle of friends and be less antisocial. So she kind of took him on as a project is what her friend said. But uh, flashing back into the future, not long after Chandra's mom got to work, she was notified of her daughter's suicide. Um, And that was after the police had found the body and they've already taken Tyrell down to the police station. And he is talking to police and tells them how he and Chandra knew each other. And they start to get some detail from the text that Sean, that Chandra and Tyrell had sent back and forth to one another. And they start to see that she had expressed thoughts that she wanted to kill herself. And they had been texting each other for weeks about suicide. Tyrell though, on the other hand, had been planning and researching since he met her ways to commit suicide. On the day of her suicide, he picked her up at work at Wendy's and they went together and purchased the 20 foot nylon rope for, mm. for Chandra. The two then drove to Payson Canyon. And this is, you know, he's, he's telling him exactly what happened. He's not trying to hide anything and he's right. not, you know, he seems almost proud of himself, but he says that they drove to Payson Canyon. He helped her wrap the rope around the branch He picked up the phone, the burner phone that they had, and recorded her death. He admits he did not try to dissuade her in any way, shape, or form. And he at first tried to say that it was a suicide pact between the two of them. But then he told the sheriffs multiple times that he had no intention of killing himself, so they sort of write that off. And at that point, though, the police believe that there's more involved here. And a prosecution team is assigned to evaluate this case for possible murder charges because it just seems so crazy and unusual to them. And I don't think they'd ever had a case like this before. And in in particular, in 2017, there was no law against assisted suicide. Utah was only one of a few states where no laws existed for this particular thing. Okay. Then they start seeing texts from Tyrell's friends. And Tyrell is actually asking people prior to... Jandra's death, what would you do if you had a friend who wanted to commit suicide? And his friends are all saying, I would try to talk them out of it. And Tyrell replies, no, it's like getting away with murder. I would help. 
<gasps> so then the police believe that this is, this is very intentional. And five days after the death, the DA charges Tyrell with first-degree murder. Yeah, wow. They also point out the fact that he wanted to go back to the scene to ensure that she was dead. He admits he wanted to keep the rope as a trophy. Collect and keep that rope. Oh, my God. Is that not disgusting? Oh, my God. <sighs> he also took this suicide note that Chandra wrote and put a suicide note in the mailbox of her home. And she said in that note, this was all my decision. You know, don't blame anyone else. I thought about this. I wanted to do it. I did it. It's all me. So it's almost like the two talked about this before and he advocated he didn't want to be held responsible. So he asked her to write this note or I don't know mm -hmm. if that's something she came up with on her own. But the police, despite this note, think that this was all Tyrell's plan. And this was his kind of sick and twisted thing that he wanted to do just to fulfill some kind of murder fantasy or suicide fantasy. He wanted to watch someone die. He was that dark and that twisted that that was something that he really, what he was excited about. Mm. And Tyrell's family, meanwhile, is like, there's no way our son could do this. He's a good kid. There's no way. And Tyrell firmly felt like he was just helping her do what she wanted to do anyway. And that was his defense. But he pretty much confessed to police that he helped her and that he could have called someone, but he did not. So uh, I think the defense team as well said that even if, even if he helped her, if she wanted to die and she was determined, uh, there's nothing that he could have done to prevent her from doing it eventually. Even though people were saying that, you know, he should have said something because there could have been a different outcome if he would have called for help. Absolutely. According to statistics, girls ages 15 to 19, the leading cause of death is suicide. Wow. Isn't that awful? Mm hmm There were many, many, many texts between Tyrell and Chandra. And the more, it seemed, as, when looking at these texts, that police and investigators could tell that the more she hung out with this young boy, the more depressed she got. Yeah. So she was trying to help him. But he was actually dragging her down further and further. Right. And he was feeding into her desire to end her life. Friends and family believe that there is no doubt that without Tyrell in her life, she would still be alive today. And that may be true. It may not be true. But the prosecution has to show some sort of intent to commit a crime in order to make this the charges right. stick. Right. But they determined that there's no better way to do this than the defendant's own words. Because Tyrell mm -hmm. just could not keep his mouth shut. He texts hundreds and hundreds of texts. And you can tell that he's telling her different ways to commit suicide. He recorded her death. He asked her if he could mutilate her body after death. What? Because he, he wanted to be able to do that as well. So uh, the police are just sort of adding all these things up and saying that this is complete depravity. He had intent to kill her and he wanted to participate in helping to cause her death and his texts about getting away with murder. Absolutely. He reached out to friends and family from jail via phone calls and letters bragging about his conduct and said that when he gets out, he wanted to get a tattoo of a noose. He wanted friends to set up an Instagram account for him to enhance his notoriety and he wanted to get in touch with Michelle Carter. We're going to talk about her in just a second. Michelle Carter, another assisted suicide case. Um, and 
implied that him and Michelle Carter would get along great. His attorney tells him, shut your effing mouth. (laughs) Just don't say anything because you're digging yourself deeper into this hole. But he reaches out yet again and tells everyone not to testify, that they need to stay quiet and remain silent, use their right to remain silent. So this is... Well, there's another charge. Yep. That's witness tampering. (laughs) And fall 2018, as his team is getting ready for trial, Tyrell claims he is ready. The DA then files those witness tampering charges again, in addition to the other charges that they already have against him. And at that point, Tyrell is like, okay, I want to plea. I want to plea deal. They want to charge him with first degree felony homicide. He mm-hmm. instead pleads to child abuse. Okay. Which he can get five, five years to life for the child abuse charges. So realizing the predicament that he's in, he does not want to risk getting sent to, to jail for life. And so he takes the lesser child abuse charges and just kind of throws himself at the court's mercy. Six weeks later, he is sentenced and his mom gets up and says, oh, he always cared for others more than himself. He was a good boy. Please don't throw the book at him. That kind of thing. Hard to make that argument that he cared for others more than himself when he's on trial for this. So two families were torn apart by this. Two. But he was sentenced, and he is in a Utah state prison at the moment. He got was sentenced to five years to life, which, to me, I don't really understand what that means. So he, after five years, he just gets up a, in front of a parole board and states his case. And if they mm-hmm. think he's recovered and rehabilitated, then they'll let him free, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's it, it seems as though Utah law is a little bit different than a lot of other places including the fact that they didn't have assisted suicide laws or they're one of the few states that did not. Right. And sorry, I just want to clarify your, when you say assisted suicide laws, you're talking about laws against assisted suicide, not physician assisted suicide. Correct. Okay. Those Correct. are two different things. But as a result of this case, Utah legislature passed legislation. There is now an, a new law in place against assisted suicide and they give it a manslaughter definition, mm. and it's a second-degree felony. So Jandra's family, out of this whole thing, wants people to really talk to their kids every day, check in with them, be aware, know what's going on. Experts say that the best way to prevent suicide if someone is around them is to stay, stop, stop this, and let's talk about it. Let's work through this. Let's get you some help. Call professionals if you need to. Mm -hmm. But it appears that Chandra did not have this. And as a result, this whole tragic, awful incident happened. Um, Her family ended up taking her back to Twin Falls, Idaho, to bury her near her grandmother. And her family misses her every day. Mm. But uh, to me, this is horrifying that a human being that knew her and supposedly was a friend to her would, number one, encourage her to do this via hundreds and hundreds of texts. Number two, watch her do this, help her do this, and then film it. And then taunt her family with putting the note in the mailbox. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole level of depravity that just seems completely unbelievable to me that somebody would do something like that and not try to stop them and not call for help. Speaking of which, (laughs) let's talk about Michelle Carter. 
I got a lot of my information on this particular one from a few articles online. I will post them in the show notes, as well as a 48 Hours episode, Death by Text. This is the case of Michelle Carter. Um, I have very strong feelings on this young woman. We've talked about her previously on the show. Um, but let's jump in here. Conrad Roy was found dead of carbon monoxide poisoning in his truck at the age of 18 years old. He suffered from severe depression and suicidal thoughts. Initially, the police thought that this was a case of a simple case of suicide until they found hundreds of texts from a girlfriend named Michelle who encouraged him and urged him to end his own life by taunting him and belittling him for not doing it. She was charged with involuntary manslaughter, which carries a sentence of up to 20 years in prison, but she was 35 miles away when the act happened. So let's unravel this case a little bit because this is a precedent setting case. Okay. Conrad was 18 years old. He was a very serious young man, but he, towards the end of his life, would sit at his computer and record his thoughts regarding his depression and potential suicide. He was a very competitive young man. He strove very hard for success and was constantly his own worst critic. He worried about, disapp about disappointing others and especially his mother and father, but he had a lot going for him. Despite the fact that he was suffering from depression, his family thought he was getting through it and they actually helped him to get help. They took him to a doctor, a specialist, a psychiatrist, and he was actually taking Celexa and getting counseling. Mm -hmm. So they assumed because he seemed outwardly that he was getting better, that he was getting better. And this is a tricky topic and we can talk about it more in just a minute, but he had just recently got his license to be a tugboat captain, just like his dad, and he was very proud of that. He had just graduated from high school, and he had a scholarship lined up for college. So he was doing everything he could to create this bright future for himself. So seeing that, everyone around him, his mother and two sisters, two younger sisters, thought he there was no reason they had to believe that he was suicidal. Right. But in July 12, 2014... He drove to a parking lot, set up a gasoline-powered water pump, and inhaled carbon monoxide until he died. It, it's very perplexing for his family, because growing up, Conrad had been a very sensitive and kind and happy child. But during his teenage years, anxiety had started to take over. Conrad was the oldest of three kids with two younger sisters, sisters excuse me, Morgan and Camden. His parents separated and divorced when he was 16, and this was very hard on Conrad. He worried about his mom, and he sort of described it as being taken over gradually by a sort of darkness, and he mm. began to self-isolate. He had trouble sleeping and was just very, very dark and sad. He attempted suicide at the age of 17 by overdosing on acetaminophen, which is basically, isn't that an aspirin overdose? It's Tylenol. Acetaminophen is Tylenol. So a Tylenol overdose. Um, his mom worked at a psychiatric hospital and could not believe her son would actually do something like this. And so she had experience with mental health conditions and she just didn't see it in her son. Mm -hmm. But at that time, he contacted a friend and she immediately, note, immediately contacted his family and called the police and paramedics to rush him to the hospital 
He got there, they were able to save his life, and he promised he would never do that again. But everyone around him could see that this incident was a cry for help. Mm -hmm. And that was when they got him that psychological help, and he started treatment, he became a lot more social, and he met Michelle Carter in 2012, while both of them were vacationing with their families in Florida. Michelle... A seemingly bright and pretty young woman was just a year younger than him, and she met Conrad through some relatives that he was visiting when he was in Florida with his family. She was really sweet and outgoing and pretty and funny, and it turned out she only lived a few towns over in his home state of Massachusetts. At that point, these two started a relationship, and Michelle, Michelle actually called him her boyfriend, but... Interestingly enough, the two rarely saw each other, and it seemed that Michelle maybe had sort of a different opinion about the relationship than Conrad did, and most of their interaction was over text. They really just didn't see each other very frequently at all. So he and was maybe a little bit more serious than she was. Uh, he was serious about, in life in general, but she thought this was a relationship, and he really was... Oh, know, it was the reverse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she was calling she was, him her boyfriend. And, and like, he wasn't just, ready for that. He was just not... Because his family said that she ne he never really even mentioned her. Okay. That she showed up at one of his baseball games, and that was the only time they ever met her or saw her until Conrad's death. Okay. So as it turned out, though, Michelle and Conrad had bonded over their mental health issues. Michelle had an eating disorder, and both of them took antidepressants. Most of her friends and family say she was friendly and nice and never mean. She played softball and was very well liked at school. She was very active, was kind of a class clown, and was voted most likely to brighten lives. Hmm. Wow. But on the, on the day that Conrad died, he got up early. It was the 12th of July. He went to the beach with his two sisters. They say he was spending a little bit of time alone texting and kind of seemed anxious. But then he took his two sisters to ice cream later in the day, and his mood seemed like it lifted quite a bit. They all went home, and he left the house at around 6 p.m., saying he was going to go visit a friend. Okay. He told his mom he was probably not going to be home for dinner, and that was the last time he was ever seen alive by friends or family. Conrad immediately headed out in his pickup truck. His mom texted him at about 10.30 or 11 o'clock and in the middle of the night, and there was no response. His mom, though, thought he was okay, that he was maybe just out with friends and not responding, as teenagers tend to do sometimes. Sure. And at one point during the night, Conrad's sister heard from Michelle, and she thought that was very odd because she didn't really know Michelle that well. She'd only met her that one time. And Michelle actually claimed she was Conrad's girlfriend in this text, which, again, mm. the sister thought this was a little bit unusual. And said, the text said, asked if the sister had heard from Conrad. And they thought this was a little bit weird. And she obviously answered back, no, I haven't seen him. He's out with friends or whatever. But by sunrise, there was still no sign of Conrad. And the family starts searching for him. On the afternoon of July 13th, police find Conrad in his truck. He was parked at a local Kmart with his cell phone next to him. He mm -hmm. had died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Now, immediately, Michelle seems devastated. She texts his mom saying how sorry she is and how much he meant to her. And she's just immediately sending out a barrage of texts to friends and family saying that this happened. Mm -hmm. Which... I think is very interesting. 
But then the cops got a hold of Conrad's phone. Mm. And that's when they find thousands of texts from Michelle to Conrad and back and forth. And Michelle's texts actually encouraged him to kill himself. And she made very incriminating comments via text saying that if the police found her text, that she was in trouble, that she knew she was going to be prosecuted. And there were also texts asking Conrad if he had erased their messages, deleted their messages. Whoa. So she also texts her friends and says, you know, she knows this happened and she's sorry that it happened. She thinks maybe she should have done something to help him. And now she thinks she's going to be in trouble. So it sounds like she's saying she's sorry it happened because it's going to negatively affect me. Not because she's sorry yes. it happened. Yes. Wow. Michelle acted in front of everyone else like this death was a complete surprise to her. She's sobbing. She's making a scene crying. She's at the funeral, sitting a couple rows back behind the family. She is acting completely devastated. She had a fundraiser in her town of Plainville, Massachusetts for Conrad. And she just basically was telling everyone, woe is me. Look at this. This is so sad. I can't believe my boyfriend did this. I'm just this poor girl whose boyfriend died from committing suicide. Unbelievable. So police then interview Michelle at her high school in the fall of 2012, and she admitted she spoke to Conrad, but her statements were very inconsistent. She basically said she texted him a couple of times, but that she really didn't have anything else to do with it. But then they see that she had texted multiple other people saying that he killed himself, but she didn't call the police one time. Never called anyone else to help, knew he was killing himself, never called the police. Unbelievable. She had also asked him if he had deleted the messages, which also made her look guilty AF. Regardless, the police extracted more than a thousand messages between the two, showing fear and reluctance on Conrad's part, and he worried about his family. But Michelle seemed very unconcerned about all of this and very pushy, and she said, you know, your family will get over it. They'll be fine. It'll be hard at first, but they'll get over it. Prosecuting this case would be challenging, though, because Massachusetts had no law against assisted suicide at that time. Hmm. And additionally, Michelle was about 35 miles away or about an hour drive. And this was interesting because at that time, the Massachusetts courts ruled that even though Michelle was an hour away, she had a virtual presence. And this is kind of a new and controversial thing because it was born out of this need to update laws for this digital world that we live in now. Sure. But um, three years later, Michelle stands trial for involuntary manslaughter. They charge her with that secondary charge instead of murder, obviously. But her attorneys advised her to waive her right to a jury trial and put her fate in the hands of a judge. This is because she presented a very unsympathetic figure. I was going to say, yeah, she, I remember following this like a little bit, just like hearing news stories about it. And just the a bench trial is probably her, was probably the right, right. call. I, I absolutely agree. Um, especially when in light of her texts where she sat and listened to him mm-hmm. and she had a phone call with him as well. And she listened to him for 20 minutes as he cried and tried to get out of the truck and she told him to get back in. Yeah. That was the, that was the kicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. in terms of prosecuting this case. But they believe that she recklessly caused Conrad's death. Michelle, with her incessant texting, was 
enough of an influence to make Conrad follow through with plans to kill himself. And her virtual presence caused him to do it rather than her physical presence. And this is very, very new and cutting edge law. There, nothing had been in the books with this before. The defense claimed that he was on this path to kill himself already and that he and Michelle had not seen each other in over a year and he had way too many other influences, including his family's divorce and he was already depressed and upset and that Michelle really just didn't have anything to do with his death. She just was there. Hmm. She did have some caring texts. You know, you got to give her that. But, you know, she was sort of supportive of him prior to when she began to talk about suicide but then about 10 days prior to the actual suicide itself she started encouraging him to actually do it and giving him suggestions on how to kill himself Hmm. and sort of weighing out the merits of different ways to do it like hanging versus shooting versus overdose versus carbon monoxide poisoning and that's when the police start to think that maybe michelle was desperate for friends and attention and having a suicidal boyfriend gave her that wow she had constantly sent friends texts about Conrad being missing and how he was suicidal. And she told her friends before his suicide that he was gone. And if he showed up, she could be exposed as a liar. So she had to convince him to follow through to save face. Hmm. They also noted that there was a 45 minute phone call between Michelle and Conrad. And she called a friend immediately after and told the friend about Conrad And that she thought he had, excuse me, a text that she thought he'd killed himself. So she was immediately starting to build a virtual alibi, acting like she was just this concerned girlfriend. She's scared. She wants to make sure he's okay. She thinks he might've done something bad, has no idea what he did, but she's scared. As she's sitting there during the trial, she's completely unemotional. I think that's a lot of the images that people saw of her as well. And they brought in a psychiatrist for her who claimed that Michelle was involuntarily intoxicated by antidepressant use. That she had been on Celexa for three months, which I believe is the same drug that Conrad was on. Mm -hmm. And that she was unable to form criminal intent for that reason. But it's very, very hard to argue this when at no point in the 24 hours before they found Conrad's body did she tell anyone where he was or call the police. Yeah. She also lied and claimed she had no idea what happened and where he was when she could have saved his life. There were also more texts after he died. She sent multiple texts to friends and family and numerous texts to Conrad after he died, saying she was worried and telling them that she thought the police were going to find her messages and she was going to get in trouble. Uh, But the prosecution is looking at this and they're like, okay, first of all, Selexa does not make you delusional, psychotic, or intoxicated. Mm -hmm. Right. Have you ever taken that particular one? Uh-uh, I've never taken that like, one. But, like, I just find it very hard to claim that one would be intoxicated from taking that medication. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if he didn't mean that more figuratively than literally, but I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. But she knew he was hurting, and she told him to get back into his car and kill himself. So she enhanced and encouraged his actions And her calling for help could have helped him to recover. Mm -hmm. I think this really, really highlights the important issue that we talked about earlier, that suicide is a very big issue in this country, and so is depression. According to the CDC, in this last year, more than 5,000 14 to 24-year-olds killed themselves. Mm. And that's about the number that will kill themselves every year. 
Teens are definitely more prone to depression and susceptible to peer pressure. And it's scary because some of our culture glamorizes suicide. Like when you look at that movie or show, I think Mm -hmm. it's a show, 13 Reasons. Yep, 13 Reasons Why. And they say that teens will watch shows like these, and the ones that do watch are more likely to attempt suicide and complete those attempts. Mm. Um, It's interesting that I believe the show 13 Reasons is about a young woman who commits suicide and records prior to her death 13 tapes for 13 people she considers responsible for her decision to kill herself so very very scary uh they think that michelle was influenced by an episode of glee and for those of you who watched that show you know that there was an actor involved in the show that did indeed commit suicide and they actually wrote that into the show oh i didn't realize that yeah they wrote the suicide into the show and created a story around it And what was interesting is that Michelle's texts to her friends were eerily similar and almost word for word to the script following the suicide of the actor on the show. Yeah, it was really weird. Uh, Michelle wanted attention. And as this grieving and loving girlfriend, she was getting that attention. Um, There were six days of testimony in this case. The defense kept going back to the fact that Conrad did this on his own and was already on his way, that Michelle just listened and there was no physical action on her part. But, again, the prosecution says Michelle was a powerful influence and she knew it was wrong and she caused this death. The judge goes into his statement and says, yes, Conrad did most of the suicide himself, but broke the chain of self-causation when he got out of the truck and tried to stop Mm. the suicide. Okay. So there has to be a link in that causation of him doing it and completing the Mm -hmm. act, but he broke that chain and that link when he got out of the truck and tried to stop the suicide. Michelle was extremely unemotional throughout this whole thing, as I mentioned earlier, but she did cry at the verdict. Michelle's instructions though, to Conrad to get back in the truck and the text she and the text she said she knew that it was her fault and could have called for help were damning. Michelle caused a dangerous environment and under Massachusetts law she had a duty to save or call for help. She had a duty to help him. The judge rejected her involuntary t- intoxication excuse and Michelle was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. She was a juvenile when she committed the crime, but she was sentenced as an adult. Words can have power and change lives irrevocably. We need to keep that in mind when we are texting. And the judge was very, very clear on his opinion on that as well. In response to this conviction of guilty, she could have gotten a much, much larger sentence, but she was actually sentenced to 2.5 years in the Bristol County House of Corrections, 15 months served with the rest of the sentence suspended and five years probation to follow. Hmm. She was free pending appeal though. They had asked for five years of suspended probation and mental health treatment. They said that that was because Michelle regretted her actions and should have rehabilitation and not punishment. Interesting, though. Involuntary manslaughter, the definition of that, and I know that there has been a lot about involuntary manslaughter in the news lately, but by definition, it is an unintentional killing resulting from reckless and or criminal negligence. Mm -hmm. The maximum sentence for something like that is up to 20 years. 
in Massachusetts. Okay. okay. Michelle was let out three months early into a 15 month sentence. And they said this was because of good behavior, but Conrad's family was outraged. She already got a light sentence as it was. And then for, for them to let her out early was just a slap in Mm -hmm. the face to them. But she had an appeal. So people want to know what that appeal was all about. She basically said that her texts were protected under free speech. She was constitutionally protected and she wanted to keep the texts out and they, she wanted to stay out of jail pending the resolution of her appeal. But the Supreme Court of Massachusetts said they would not hear her case. And she was sent to jail to serve out her sentence. They left her conviction to stand. And that's it. She kept saying, words alone are not enough to hold me responsible for this suicide. But the Massachusetts Supreme Court didn't even want to hear the case. So... It's interesting because now this is case law and this sets precedence within that state that someone who texts and helps someone commit suicide can be held responsible via involuntary manslaughter. Right. And when it's precedent in the state, but can other states then refer to this precedent in Massachusetts to get a similar law on there? Yes. It holds more weight if it's in your own courts. It just gives it a higher uh-huh. degree of relevance. But we can start to take this from other states and say, hey, listen, this is what happened here. This is what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And the courts are more likely to follow that than if there was nothing on the books at all. And you're now saying, we need you to do this. We've never done this before, but we want you to do this now. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Okay. Yes, it does. Thank you. I find these cases just disturbing. And it's again, it's different because there's a... It's the boy girl role is reversed in both of these cases, but Mm -hmm. to influence someone and to encourage them to end their life without even attempting to get help for that person is just heartbreaking. And it just makes the person seem like a, a huge monster to me. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So, I 100% agree with you and also with what the judge said in Michelle Carter's case. And it seems the that in the, in the story with Chandra, it seems like Tyrell found somebody that would let him carry out his fantasies. And so he encouraged yeah. it. It From what you said and what his text said to friends, it sounds like if he hadn't talked her into committing suicide he probably would have gone on to commit some kind of violent act on his own. That's what it, it genuinely sounds like that. Yeah, yeah, and, it does. And with Michelle, I think it's different. I don't necessarily think that would happen with Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy. I think that she was somebody who was incredibly deeply selfish. And, ha- I mean, there's the narcissist, like she has narcissistic, it sounds like she has narcissi- narcissistic issues as well, and just... Truly, wanted the attention from it all. Exactly. And she, she didn't, truly care, about didn't him. care about him. And you can tell that because she didn't cry until the verdict. And that's how you know that that's all she cared about. You so know, she wasn't upset about the crime. She was upset that she got caught. Absolutely. And if anybody ever comes to you, confides in you as a friend, as a partner, as a family member, if anybody ever confides to you that they are having suicidal thoughts, your role is to contact a professional. You cannot, you are not equipped 
to handle that on your own, you've got to contact a professional in some way, be it the police. I think you have a duty. Absolutely. Not just, not just ethically and morally. You have a a legal duty. If you Mm -hmm. see someone's in danger to try to help them. If you know that they're in danger of killing themselves or harming someone else, you have a legal duty. And that's what the courts in these cases have said. You have a legal duty to help. Absolutely. Do you have a legal duty to go to that person and pull the gun out of their hand? No. You do not, but you have a legal duty to report them to the authorities, to their family, to report it, period. What is reporting? Do you have to contact the police? No, but you have to contact someone and offer assistance. You have a duty to do that. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And it's so upsetting to think that had the circumstances not aligned for these two young people, had they not met... Tyrell and and Michelle, they they would be here. I, I d- genuinely do believe that. And I understand why the defense had to make the argument that if somebody wants to commit suicide, they will find a way to do it. But that doesn't that's not an actual defense for somebody who doesn't step in. Right. It's just not. And I think in a lot of instances, these young people, teenagers in that danger group from like 15 to 24 or whatever, if you can help get them through those years... Typically, they will, the issues will ease up and they will grow out of it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, it takes family support. It takes counseling. It takes friends and family to be around that person and aware of what's going on and to check in with them on a regular basis. How are you feeling? What's going on with you? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And it's a thing that some parents don't have the time, energy, or willingness to do. But that's going to save that person's life ultimately. Mm -hmm. And I have been in some very, very deep depressions. And it really does feel like you cannot see the way out of it. It does. When you're in that moment, you are not thinking clearly. And it is scary when you're not thinking that clearly because you know that something is wrong and that it is depression, that it's not who you are and you can't see a way out of it. But there is always a way out of it. There's always a way out of it. You will always get through it. And there are people that will help you get through it. And it's much easier to get through that with the support of others than it is to get through it alone, period. And whether that be a counselor or somebody that you don't know, or whether it's your friends or family, you may not want to talk to your friends or family, but a counselor, somebody who's not related to you, who can provide that professional support, who knows what you're going through and knows the reasons behind it that can help you is going to give you the assistance that you need. You do not have to suffer through this alone. You are not alone. There are millions of people all over the world that are experiencing depression just like you. And this is even more so right now. Mm -hmm. People are scared. People are angry. People are frustrated. People are sad. There's so many emotions that are playing through our minds right now with all of this going on and people are dying for a variety of reasons. And it is effing sad. And you know what? Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel that. It's okay to feel that. You don't need to suppress that and you don't need to push it away. You can feel it and it's okay to feel that. Mm-hmm. But don't let it be destructive on you and put you in a dark place that you can't recover from and the only way out it, the only way out is suicide. Yeah. It, so it, that that is that is never the way out. There that is never the way out. I want to make that just a million percent clear. There are people that that you can reach out to. 
that will help you. And we're going to provide that stuff in the show notes, some 800 numbers, some different people and different organizations that you can reach out to if you or someone you know is experiencing thoughts, emotions, depression, any of that. We want to provide some resources for you for that. It's a dark topic, and I think that it is one that is really, really important for us to talk about. It just is. The more we talk about it, the more we get it out in the open, and the more we express it, the better it is, and the more, and the easier it'll be to catch these cases before they complete that suicide. So this is a point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to shoot us an email. We're at the bfdpodcast at gmail.com. Darcy social media. Yeah, we're at the BFT podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And again, we will post resources there as well. And please join us again next week when we talk more about the main issues that are going on in this world, as well as some weird, wacky and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe. Keep it real and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.